we are in our study in the book of Acts. Okay, we are in our study in the book of Acts. And as we've been studying the book of Acts, we have been seeing how God is growing this new church family. Quite loabiasa, quite extraordinary. And today we're going to go into a really extraordinary story as part of the life of this new church. Let's pray. Let's all pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to bring our thoughts and our minds before you. Father, we want to focus on you. We want to ask, Lord God, that the power of the Holy Spirit just come and take over by training our thoughts on you and keeping our minds and our spirits on your word. So, Father, I pray. I pray that you begin, Lord God, with every single one of us. Begin with me as well, Lord God. I pray that you turn my eyes toward you, O oh God, and just help me to focus and help me to see that in your word there is beauty, in your word there is truth, and in your word there is love. So open our eyes that we may see beautiful things in your law. In all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira. How many of you are already familiar with this story of Ananias and Sapphira? Stretch your hand all the way up so I can get a good gauge, okay? About, about a third, about, about one third of us are familiar with the story of Ananias and Sapphira. By the way, there are two Ananiases in the book of Acts, yeah? The first one is this guy. Later, you'll see a different Ananias when you hear about the story of the Apostle Paul. The context. The context, right? What has been happening with the church, this new gathering of people who give their lives to Jesus, one of the things that's been happening is this. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart. Everybody say one heart. By some there, one heart, then some here, then start one heart. So by heart here, then here one, you know. So we are saying one heart, but we're not one voice, right? Okay. Everybody say one heart. Everybody say one soul. Right? They were all of one heart and one soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. Wow. Wow, that's, that's next level. I know that some people say that the early church was communist. They were not communists, okay? They were not communists. And the key difference is that they were of one heart and one soul. And this was an entirely voluntary, self-giving, I want to share my belongings with everyone. This is my gift to the community. This is what I want to give, right? Um, so there is no chairman of the Communist Party telling you that you have to give up your possessions. This is everybody giving it up in their own will. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them. Wow. How many of you are in the process of selling a property right now? Right? Sold them brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed. So the proceeds of sales were brought to their church. They laid it, they laid the proceeds at the apostles' feet and then the apostles would distribute them, redistribute it to all the people as there was need. 
Thus, Joseph was also called by the apostles Barnabas. You will hear a lot more about Barnabas in the weeks and weeks to come. But for now, his name means son of encouragement. And what a guy, right? Barnabas really is all, one guy who's always looking out for the guy on the outside, looking out for the fellow on the fringe, right? Um, he, he was a Levite, a native of Cyprus. He too sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money, laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, how do you feel if you're part of this community? How do you feel if you're part of this community? Stone, stone silent. Very kampong, right? Yeah? Very nice, right? Okay? How many of you think it would be nice to be part of a community like this? Right? Wow. I, I know now who are the people who are in need. <laughs> right? No, because, because it's great to be in a community like this if you are the fella in need. Right? And can you imagine? You need sponsorship for camp. Boom! It shows up. You need, you, you need every day, you need to kais pagi, makan pagi, kais tak cukup, pagi is still there. Kais malam tak cukup, malam still there. Right? And because someone's always looking out for you. But I'm going to ask you all this. Huh? Okay, I see you all very holy. Huh? I'm going to ask you all this. Huh? If you are not the fellow who's supposed to receive, huh? we all know for the recipient, it's, it's, it's great. You want to be in this place. Huh? But if you are in the group, in the category that is kind of like semi-expected to be a giver and contributor, okay? How you feel, huh? Kawai sells a land, boom, at the apostles' feet. Jenny sells a land, boom, at the apostles' feet. <laughs> okay, David and Jenny, same, same land, same apostles' feet, right? Desmond's time is like, well, oh, yeah. Okay la, okay la, fine, fine. You are worthy of it all, right? Right? So, you, how? Church, how? I'm, I'm, I'm half playing around with you guys, okay? Because I think we all kind of, mm, kind of understand what it might feel like if you are looking around and everybody is like, huh? Wow, this guy, spawn market, wait. <laughs> It's coming nearer to me, right? Okay, I'm joking around. I'm joking around. You're very holy one. They're, they're, they're not, not happening here. <laughs> Today's text. Today's text. Acts chapter 5. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself. But he brought the rest and also, like everyone else, like Barnabas before him, like everyone else before him, brought the proceeds and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for this land? Well, tension ready. Can you all feel the tension? Can you all feel the tension? Right? If this is a film, the score will go like <laughs> Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What, what made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to the human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. So for those of you who have never heard the story of Ananias and Sapphira, this is the story of Ananias and Sapphira. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. 
And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward. This is the Connect team, yeah? Okay. <laughs> Wrapped up his body, carried him out and buried him. Guys, you all have it good, okay? You guys have it so good. <laughs> About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, Sephira, right? Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that's the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the Spirit of the Lord? Listen. The feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Selamat tinggal kekasih gelapku, Safira. Then the young man came in, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. For great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. That's pretty intense. It's pretty intense. By the way, I hope you see the irony. Luke is a fantastic storyteller. What began as laying money at the feet of the apostles. In the end, Sephira died and fell at the feet of the apostles. Paid not, not, just with, not just with the proceeds of the sale of the land, she paid with her life. Crazy, crazy, crazy story, right? This raises so many questions. It raises so, so many questions. So today, I'm going to put all of you guys to really rigorous work, okay? It's like you showed up at gym, you didn't realize, you thought today is just like, oh, leg day, I think I can do it, do it you know? No, today you showed up at gym and it's like the, the, the ultimate challenge, Viper challenge times five, right? So I'm going to show you uh, um, some of the issues that it raised, right? So many conversation points. Conversation point number one, the lying, the sin of the lying. Now, this is really serious, right? Because when Peter confronts Ananias, he confronts and says, Why have you, how has Satan filled your heart that you have now lied to the Holy Spirit? And he dies for it, okay? Now, some people will say, Maybe he died out of shock. Now, it's possible he died out of shock, okay? It's possible he died out of shock, out of like trauma, fear, suddenly guilt, whatever, boom, you know, die, heart attack, died, right? It's, it's possible. But when you look at the Sephira story, right, Peter actually says that while she's alive, huh, Peter actually says, now the feet of the man who buried your husband, it's like, oh my gosh, in one sentence I discover he's dead, and by the end of the sentence, I'm dead, right? Um, the feet of the man who buried your husband are here to take you out as well. Boom, she dies. So Peter prophetically knows the judgment of God over her. So just to be clear, Peter did not strike them down, okay? Okay, this, let's be very clear. Peter did not strike them down. Let's also be very clear, Peter is not the one who wants the money, okay? Because as we've established, this whole thing is a voluntary thing. 
Nobody asks you to give. Nobody tells you how much to give. In fact, nobody even told them how much percentage of the sale of any proceeds of whatever they sell is to be given, right? The problem here is they lie. They lie about... Now, I just want to be real clear. These guys still give, huh? Like, I, I read through a, quite a lot of commentary, you know, leading up to this, and, I, and commentary after commentary, I, uh, uh, both in book form and online, I, I, see, I see all these commentators being quite hard on Ananias and Sapphira, and maybe rightly so, but I think we need to put pause for a moment and realise that they still sold a piece of land, and they still gave quite possibly, we don't know how, how much, so for the, sake of, for the sake of discussion, I'm just going to imagine it's 50%, okay? It could, be, it could be anything, right? It could be 10, it could be 90, let's just say it was 50%. They still give, okay? There are some people who don't give at all. How come they give? They're to some extent generous, right? More generous than the fellow who didn't give. And so why, Right? The sin of lying. They lied. They lied to the Holy Spirit. They kept back some of it, you know, and something very serious is being said. Now, we all know that sin is a lie. Lying is a sin, right? We all know that lying is a sin, right? We all know that Jesus says that He is the way, the truth, and the life. We, we also know that um, Jesus speaks of Satan as the father of lies. And when you tell lies, you're speaking His native language, the, the mother tongue of, of, of Satan, right? So we know that there is an issue there. Of course, I do want to, and this is where I'm going to give you your viper challenge in your own thinking and your own Bible, you know, is lying always wrong? If I ask you all, right, right now, how many of you think lying is always wrong, right? Uh, I think most of you, oh, safety will just raise your hands and say, yeah, lying is always wrong, right? Uh, so I'm not going to ask you. Maybe I should ask you. But then again, some of you are like one step ahead of your neighbour and you're like, if he's asking, it means that there's a situation and you're kind of like double-guessing and you're not going to raise your hand. How many of you think lying is always wrong? Right? Wow. We're in trouble. We're in trouble, guys. We're in trouble. Honesty is an issue in this church. <laughs> I mean, if you read your Bibles, you know your scripture, you will know that at least on one occasion that everybody is mostly familiar about. Sorry, or Rahab. What's up with that? Her lying seemed to not just be acceptable, her lying even seemed to be rewarded, or right? This, this, this really, I'm messing, with, I'm messing with you a little bit here, but you all know, right? Rahab housed uh, uh, um, the, the spies of Israel, you know, and then lied to her own people that no, no such things. Those guys came, they asked some questions, then they left, right? It's, it's a plain lie. Okay, let's, let's, not, let's not beat around the bush, or let's not lie. Okay, she straight up told an untruth, right? And then they all went like one day's journey, go look for them, you know, and in the meantime, those guys. Right? It's our law, right? And then she was rewarded with her life and her family's life as well, right? There are more, by the way, the Egyptian midwives during the time of Moses also deceived uh, uh, um, the Egyptian authorities, you know, by keeping 
some of the baby boys alive without killing them. They were under instruction to kill them. They didn't, you know. And then later they came up with some, <laughs> I don't know if you can call it a lame excuse or a good excuse, but they were like, oh, you don't know these Hebrew women, huh? they're very strong one. Their babies come out very fast. By the time we reach the scene of the, of, of the labor, or oh, baby out already, you know. So, so that, that's, that's another one, right? And in the parallel story in Jesus' birth time, the Magi also deceived Herod, right? Herod told them, you know, I want to go and go there and worship this new king, you know? And they were like, whoa, you know? Um, no, no. And then they deceived them. They went, they left by another way, never reported back. And later, when Herod discovered that, that this had taken place, he was, he was raging. And then, he, and then he went off and killed all the baby boys, right? Um, so there are some instances when concealment, deception, how do, you, how do you deal with this? Now, we are in a safe place. We are in church. If I don't deal with this with you, here, where we can explain and spend like 45 minutes trying to understand this, then what chance do you have if you're outside and then someone comes up to you and says that, hey, I heard your Bible, huh? uh, lying okay one, you know. They're like, where God lie? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, you know. And, and, and lying is the f- enemy, is Satan is the father of lies. And it's like, then Rahab, leh? then you're like, oh. I never thought of that. Then, then the mad guy lay, wow, and then like, then the Egyptian midwife lay, bye bye, right? I was, I was doing some reading, and there are people who are discussing this and wrestling with this issue, and and there are there are Christians out there who say no, lying is wrong. Now, by the way, the your ethical position on lying. It's for you to, fight, to, to, to feel it out, okay? I can tell you that there are very respectable Christians who fall on either side of there. Actually, there are something like five different ethical positions online. I won't get into that. It's too technical. But I can tell you there are respectable Christian scholars, pastors, leaders, and ordinary uh, folks like you and I who hold to different ideas about whether it is always okay uh, whether you must always tell the truth or sometimes there are circumstances where you can lie and it's not a sin or you lie anyway, it's considered a sin and God will forgive you for it. There are different positions on it. But I just want you to know that sometimes these things are not so easy. I was reading an account of someone, a Christian uh, scholar, who was talking about this. And they were the example that they all tend to use is imagine you're in Second World War, right? Um, and you have... You have Jewish people wanting to hide in your home, right? Hide in your cellar, hide in your rooftop, you know? Um, and then the Nazis come and they said, are you housing any Jews? Right? And they, and, and they say they want to come and search. Would you tell them the truth? Intuitively, most of you will say no, right? right? Intuitively, most of you will say no. Um, I... I read one scholar who said that, one, one, one writer, lah, okay, um, who said that maybe, he was just musing, okay, he, he didn't land on a firm position, but he said, maybe we should tell the truth in every situation, tell the truth before God in every situation, and then let God deal with the consequences. Nah. <laughs> and he considered, he considered that he might, in that situation, tell the Nazi authorities that yes, there are Jewish people hiding above my floorboards, right? And you can go get them. And then he, feel, he, he felt that maybe if I did that, I would be righteous before God because I told 
truth. And then what happens to the Nazis? What happens to the Jews? God will take care of it. But I did the right thing by telling the truth. Now, I want to ask you, where do you land on this? Right? Not so clear? 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 I'm going to tell you this, okay? There are going to be days when there are people who might be in our midst, whether it's in our homes or whether it's in our church or whether it's in our communities, who will be persecuted if they were discovered that they were Christians, who will come under extreme amounts of danger if they, if they were found out. And I will say to this particular writer or scholar, if I'm a Jew, then I know not to go into you, your house and hide, right? I won't hide in your house, I'll hide in someone else's house, and I'll look for someone with a different ethical framework on lying, you know, uh, to save people. But I just want to say this. If you look at the story of the Egyptian midwife and of Herod and of Rahab, there is one commonality. They were lying to evil, oppressive governments who were trying to unrighteously kill innocent people. And I just want to leave that with you so that you can slowly feel it out. Okay? I'm not going to prescribe that to you because different people have land in different places. But I just want you to know that that kind of exceptions, that's why I asked this question here, okay? so far, biblically, falls under very specific situations and conditions only. And Ananias and Sapphira does not fall anywhere near, not even in the same continent, okay? not even anywhere close. Now, a lot of people will say, so what did Ananias and Sapphira do that was so wrong? Often, you will hear people say a mixture of different things, but very commonly, you will hear them say that they were greedy for money because they sold their land and then they were so greedy over a portion of that money, they kept it back and then they gave the rest to God, right? Um, I'm not so sure if that argument adds up. I'm not so sure if it adds up. I don't know if greed for money was their primary root issue, okay? It might have been somewhere around, you know, but, but I'm not so sure. I'll tell you why, right? Because Peter says this, right? Peter says, it all hinges on this, okay? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? Look, the land was yours. Nobody made you do anything. You sold the land. It was your land. You went and sold it on your own accord. And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? In other words, after you sold, the money was yours as well. No one told you what to do with the money. On your own accord, you gave, let's say, 50%. Now, I don't think they were greedy for money because they didn't need to do any of this. Maybe they're greedy for something. But I'm not so sure if money is really the issue that they're greedy about. Because they still gave. Their net, their net position financially at before the story and after the story is they actually gave more money after than before. So I'm not so sure, so sure if greed was the issue here. Maybe the clue is in trying to understand to understand the part in blue is to understand this part. That everyone was bringing their proceeds and laying it at the apostles' feet. And somehow, they too, they too at some point now, I want to share with you, I'm going to be careful about imposing 
the psychological factors that affect us all, right? On Ananias and Sapphira. I think that there are clues here. And as good biblical uh, 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 scholars and stewards, we need to be able to read something like this and understand that actually it wasn't just a straight up they were greedy for money. Because it's not the same as Achan in the time of, uh, of Joshua who went and pilfered to have a net plus. It wasn't a net plus that they were going for. They were just trying to mitigate the net deficit. right? They were just trying to mitigate how less they give. Now, I'm going to pause on Ananias and Sapphira for a moment. But I want to say this. I'll share some of my story, okay? When I read Ananias and Sapphira, I think of myself. I think of myself and I think of issues of spiritual vanity. You know, spiritual vanity, right? Be vain. Wow, so spiritual. And flexing our godliness, right? Showing off. Flexing is showing off, right? Flexing our godliness, how godly I appear to be. Or for that matter, posturing strength. You know, posturing is... To posture is to show people that you're stronger than you really are. But actually, you're not so strong. You just posture that you're strong. You posture that you are winning. You posture that you're successful. You posture that you are, you know, uh, um, doing well. But actually, when the lights go out, you go home you know your life is not as, not as remarkable, not as shiny as you, as you show it to be. And now I'll tell you my story. In my time as a pastor, eight years now, this, I'm in my eighth year as a pastor, there have been many times when I sat in meetings where me and my esteemed colleagues would go around and we would be asked to share what's happening in your ministry. And honestly, every time we do that, it will be like one super king testimony, like, wow, my ministry is like doing this and this, this. Now, I, now I just want to be re- re- really clear. I do not want to presume or speak on behalf of my colleagues. I, I esteem them very highly, you know. I will speak for myself. Okay, I'll share my position. When I hear the testimonies, the great testimonies, victory happening here, victory with this ministry, victory with that ministry. Wow, there are so much things are happening here. And then here, as it's coming towards me, I always feel like this sense of cold chill, like, my gosh, what am I going to (laughs) say? What am I going to say? Because the pressure will build up for me in terms of what I'm going to say and what really is happening. And I will feel a pressure to inflict, to inflict, like Man City's bunny, right? Inflict just a little bit about how, how, how good things really are, how successful we really are, how much breakthroughs there really are, how, how, what the numbers really are like. I can tell you, um, there's always a pressure. N- nobody needs to pressure me, okay? There's an intrinsic pressure. The inner pressure, okay? Pastor Chu doesn't need to say anything. Pastor Lichu doesn't need to say anything. The elders don't need to say anything. Even if nobody says anything, it comes up. A deep inner pressure to appear like I am winning as well. And so I've felt the pressure. 
to inflate numbers or at least smudge it out so that it sounds like lots of people round up, right? Instead of rounding down, you round it up, right? Round it up by the tens. Actually, why not round up by the hundreds, you know? Like, we are, we are, we are pushing about a hundred, guys, yeah. yeah. But the 74 or something like that, right? It's, it, it, that pressure is there. I remember once um, we were in a season of much cell multiplication in church. And... Um, I think our young adults in the main church, I was the young adults pastor at the time. And our young adults, we had 21 cells, right? Um, and then across all the different districts, it's like, wow, multiplication. One cell, one cell multiplied three ways. You know, one cell multiplied two. And then within that same year, one of them multiplied again, you know? So I was like, again, like, imagine going around. It's like... <laughs> and we're on 21. Frankly, we, we, had, we were not always on 21. I think we were on 19 and we had a few multiplications. We were on 21. But... Um, we won 21 a few, a, 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 a few rounds of that meeting. They say it's a monthly meeting, you know. It was 21 for a few months already, lah, okay. And then the pressure came up. Not incited by anyone, but pressure came up to just... Like, dude, you're going to say 21 another month, you know. It's like nothing's happened. Like, the last few months, you didn't do anything. Um, we had a group of about of four. Four young adults whom we were gathering, you know. And we had, they had met twice with one of our leaders to see if they would become a cell group, right? Um, but they really weren't a cell group yet. Honestly, they were, you would hardly call them a, a, kind, a kind of a connect group or some kind of small fellowship. Like They were just four people exploring to see whether they would eventually become a cell group. And I remember when it came to my turn to share, I said, we have 22 cells. Yeah, yeah. We have a new cell. We have a new cell. Yeah, yeah it's coming together. So happy. We are growing. In brackets, we are winning. Uh, it's not just reporting numbers. When we, learn, when we take photos of our events, I learned how to take photos in such a way that you don't show the empty chairs, you know, um, that it looks as packed in the photos as possible, right? Like, like there is a, there's a technique one, right? You just have to like angle, you know, it like, like rest the right height so you see lots of shoulders right in front. There's like someone in the foreground so it looks like so packed that there must be someone behind as well, you know, and then you just make sure that there's just a sea of people, you know, uh, um, and just avoid all the empty chairs, right? By the way, Connect Team, when I tell you all to fill up the chairs, it's not for that, okay? We don't, we don't even take photos on a, sun, on a normal Sunday, right? But I learned how to take photos to make the room look full of people. You know, um, I once asked another pastor whether they ever felt unspoken pressure of competitiveness when we have sharing sessions like this. Um, I remember that day that pastor told me that, no lah, no lah, everyone's just really... Uh, um, really eager and, and, and happy to share uh, uh, what God is doing. No competitiveness here. I, I really don't feel it, you know. And, and that left me feeling, A, I think it's great if nobody else feels this, this, this kind of like competitiveness. But it also left me feeling like, oh my gosh, am I the only one? Am I the only one who feels this? It's horrible. I must be the worst pastor ever. I must be the most carnal, uh, uh, um, uh, worldly guy who's like, oh my gosh, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? You know, um, when I 
hear about someone's ministry going viral, like stories, right? Testimonies going viral and then like everyone's sharing it, you know? I wish it was stronger then, okay? It was stronger then. Um, I used to wish that that was my ministry story that was going viral. And by the way, sometimes when, when testimonies go viral, it's like everyone's sharing it, whatsapping it, you know, in the pastor's group, in the leader's group, in the this group, in the that group, and then it comes right back around to me through multiple directions, you know? And you're like, wow, I, I wish I was the pastor in charge of this ministry because it would, it would feel so validating that you must be doing such a good job as a pastor. You know, when I hear... Um, uh, any ministry, any group, any pastor's group or whatever, you know, being praised, you know, I always wish it was me. And sometimes it would be me, okay? Sometimes it would be me. And I would feel so happy. <laughs> feel so happy. Some, the, the, the most insidious one is um, you release a word in some prayer meeting Let's just say, let's just say Ezekiel, Ezekiel 34. You release a word from Ezekiel 34. And a bunch of pastors and leaders heard it, right? And then like that Sunday when Pastor Chu is preaching, suddenly he referenced Ezekiel 34. You're like, ooh, that was bad, that was bad. <laughs> and all these people know. And then suddenly you feel like you are spiritually being vindicated or you're spiritually being validated authenticated and it gives me at least me uh, the sense that I can't be doing too bad a job right Pastor Chu referencing same scripture that I released at the prayer meeting earlier that week that must be must be doing something right you know for us as leaders and pastors every year we have a leaders advance right it's a big leaders me meeting and Pastor Chu will normally I think last year he may or may not have done it but he will show everybody the leadership structure of the church. And that's a very normal and I would say necessary thing, right? These pastors are in charge of all this ministry. So if you need help with marriage life, if you need help with this life, if you need help with that, then you know who to go to and which administrator to, to, to run to for support. And, but inevitably, it's going to show lots of org charts. And then some, sometimes the org charts are normally shaped, right? So it's like your name and then underneath you've got like five boxes or something like that, you know? And then some org charts are just off the charts, okay? Because the org chart is like going from here, okay, to here. And actually, they need, that's, that's why people invented 16 by 9, by the way, to fit some pastor's org charts because it's so wide, right? Um, there's so many things. And I always look at those org charts and I was like, wow, must feel so nice. If your chart is so big and you're like, wow, I mean, I'm responsible for so many things, man. That's me. That's like, like I'm such an important pastor <laughs> in this church. And, and my church was normally sized until we started a church plan. And then, I mean, when you start a church plan, either your your chart has everything in the church or kind of like, it's just you lah, right? It's just you lah. And then, and then you assume that every, every part of the church plant has you lah. So I remember I went from a normal, normal medium-sized org chart. And there was one year where my org chart was one-third of a screen because there was like LifeGen's org chart and like uh, a workplace at the river's org chart. And just Sungai Bulo, Fergus Ong. And that's it. <laughs> and my, I kachot, okay? <laughs> I felt like, oh my gosh. And I felt it, you know. I felt it. I felt like, 
is this me? Is this how I feel about myself? Is this where I go to get validation? <laughs> Stupid old chart, you know? I know what I'm doing. I know I'm pastoring people. I know I have leaders. I know what it looks like. But when I see this, and this is shown to 400 leaders, why is it I feel shamed? Why do I feel so shamed? Why do I feel so small? Why does this chart shown before 400 people make me feel so insignificant? Do I care? I know the people I'm pastoring, they don't care, right? And, and, if, I, and if I give the 400 the benefit of the doubt, I don't think many of them would care too. I don't think any of many, if not any of them, would, would assign value onto me depending on what gets shown on the screen. But it was there though. It was there and very real. Now, this, this thing that was inside me, it doesn't go away just because your church or your ministry gets bigger. It doesn't go away because there's always another thing, another entity out there for you to compare yourself against. Okay? It doesn't go away just because you become more successful or, or you've got better praise reports. Like now I've got the praise reports. Now our ministry uh, uh, um, uh, things are going viral and now everyone's sharing it. And yeah, it doesn't go away. It gets worse actually. It gets worse. That you, you, it's, like, it's like any kind of addiction, right? When you get used to the hit, and you're getting bigger, bigger doses of the hit, right? You know that the thresholds just go completely off the charts and you need more and more and more now to get that sense of satisfaction. It only goes away when you deal with it. It only goes away when you can deal with it by looking at it, acknowledging that this is how carnal this is how carnality looks like. This is what sin looks like. This is what spiritual vanity looks like. This is what posturing strength looks like. This is what Ananias and Sapphira might have looked like. Now, you all know my Mandarin is not very good. Um, I was with a friend earlier this week and, uh, and he taught me a new Chinese word, right? <laughs> he taught me a new Chinese word. The word, Chinese word for van, I was talking about this sermon, and he, uh, and he showed me this word. Uh, so I'm going to show it to you. I'm going to try my best not to butcher the Mandarin, right? Um, the word for vanity is shirong, right? Shirong, right? Okay. Now, those of you who know, <laughs> okay, can correct me, uh, correct me later. You're going to correct me now, so can, right? I'm cool, right? Um, the first word means something to the effect of empty. It's used in combinations. You know Chinese, it's not like the first word means this. The first word is used in combinations that express emptiness, that express something that is not real. It's a bit like something's virtual or something is not there, right? The second word, wrong, okay, is used to, to in, again, in combinations that speak of fullness, speak of Ness, right? Uh, I was on Google Translate and one of the expressions is glory, the fullness. And I think that that has, that has something, one of the combinations, right, uh, refers to glory. And I think that that jives very nicely with the Hebrew expression where glory refers to weight, 
right? Weight, the fullness, the heaviness, the packedness. My friend told me that the second word wrong is used in combinations that speak of when cities are being heavily populated. And when and when I so, so I'm not sure, right? Because I'm not the native speaker, but but when when a place is it, it has much, when something has much, right? And so and so I know some of you guys are like, yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah, not so. Okay, but one thing we know, it speaks of, of stuff. And so the Chinese expression the man, for, for vanity is, she rong, empty stuff, empty fullness, virtual fullness. In other words, there is, there is a sense in which it looks like there is a lot happening. Now I'm going to move away from the word. There is a sense in which it seems like much is happening. There is much to share. There is much glory there. There is weight in what we are doing. There is all these things happening. Or maybe even that there is suasana uh, pesat. You know, banyak orang, banyak yang sedang berlaku, right? Banyak testimony, right? But actually, it's an empty kind of fullness. It's a virtual kind of fullness. It's like vapor. It's not really there. You think it's there, it sounds like it's there, it looks like it's there, it's not really there. And that's the Chinese word, thereabouts, for vanity. It's the same word that's used by Solomon when he opens the book of Ecclesiastes. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity, meaningless. It's all meaningless. Because why? It's a lot of posturing. And I can t- say this, a lifestyle lived like that leads eventually to imposter syndrome. You, you all know, right, what imposter syndrome is? Posturing. You show everybody that you're really strong. You go to a new job and you're struggling, but you just have to show everybody that you're competent. You have, you, this new job may have skill sets that require experience from, the, from somewhere else and you just don't have it. And you're like at night trying to mug you know, your way so that next day it won't be hell, but, but actually you're not so good at it. Not yet anyway. And then every day you walk out from that place, whether it's your workplace or your church or your ministry or your whatever it is, and you feel like, oh gosh, I'm such a fake. I'm going to be found out one day. I'm going to be found out one day. Now I've gone through my own version of imposter syndrome. You see, my friends, sometimes when there is something happening externally, what happens inside you is this desire to be validated this desire to be loved, this desire to be respected, and this deep inner desire to be winning, to be successful. And when that comes out, and you listen to it over, you listen to the voice of God that says, you are my daughter, I'm well pleased with you. You are my son, I'm well pleased with you. He said those words to Jesus before he did a single thing by means of successful ministry. God's words over Jesus before he was when he was baptized before he began his ministry you are my son I'm well pleased with you success rate at that point zero out of zero right but God was already pleased with him because God loves him and he loves every one of you and he honors every one of you he sees you he validates that you exist and he does not need you to posture in the same way, he does not need me as a pastor or as a person to posture some kind of position that I'm winning, I'm strong, I can do this, I can go there. 22 cells, pastor. We're winning. And he doesn't need that. He doesn't want us to 
to be an imposter. He wants us to be true to who we are. You know, if you guys, how many of you, you, you like romantic comedies, rom-coms? You're rom-com people. Raise your hand. Okay, now, now, you, now you can raise your hand. Nobody here likes rom-coms. I, I, I see at the back some of them are raising their hands, right? Now, I grew up in the 90s, so if, you, if, you're, if you're familiar with 90s rom-coms, there's a certain... There's a certain archetype story to it one. Every rom-com has a baseline story one. Uh, you, if you have watched a rom-com, if you have watched two or three, you have pretty much watched every single rom-com ever, you know, in the history of filmmaking, okay? And there's a pattern. I'm going to show you the pattern. I don't know, honestly, if this has translated over the years into a Korean uh, a, a series, or if it's translated into Bollywood, or if it's translated into other things. I don't know, okay? But Hollywood rom-coms, especially in the 90s, always follows this pattern. Boy and girl annoy each other. It always starts with that. Boy falls in love with girl. Then boy lies about who he is. There's always some deception, some kind of posturing, some kind of like, this is who I am, but actually it's fake. Okay, there's a fakery going on. Then of course, girl falls in love with the boy, but it's a fake version of the boy. Right? And then they romance, 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 and there's always a song playing, and they're like in this romantic setting, and in that romantic setting, and in that romantic setting, and everything, like, just as you feel like everything is going so nicely, the song ends, boom. And then the boy's lie is exposed. And after it's exposed, the girl is angry and leaves the boy. Then eventually, the boy will go to the girl, sometimes often in the rain, okay? And he confesses his true self, and the girl forgives him and takes him back. Happy ending, okay? <laughs> this, this story is told in virtually every single rom-com you have watched. And if you laugh, it's because you recognize it, right? You recognize it. Of course, there are variants here and there. Sometimes it's the girl who is, who, who is, who is behind the deception, you know. Um, sometimes they did not annoy each other from the start. You know, there, there will be variances in the middle, but this is the bare bones of how it is. It's almost as if the storytellers in Hollywood are saying to us that as long as you are occupying a false identity, that you will never find true love. That you can lie your way through and get to this part of the story, but it will all unravel, and we're going to unravel it for you. Filmmakers are going like, ha, I'm going to expose you. And at some point, they keep getting exposed. All, all these love-lorn boys keep getting exposed, and, uh, and, and, their, and their newly beloved girlfriends will keep dumping them, okay? Dumping their rears, okay? until they confess their true self. Now, if this was the Ananias and Sapphira story, it would look a bit more like this. <laughs> boy and girl annoy each other. Boy falls in love with girl. Boy lies about who he is. Girl prophetically calls boy out for the lie, and the boy dies on the spot. <laughs> End of story. <laughs> End of story, right? Now, my friends, when I read the story of Ananias and Sapphira, I'm leaning towards this reading. The Ananias and Sapphira, it was not greed for the money that held it back. It may likely have been though, the pressure, some kind of communal pressure, everyone of one heart, everyone of one spirit, and my goodness, all these people 
spoil market, sell their land, give everything to, the, to God. This guy also sell everything, give to God. David and Jenny also sell everything and give to God. Barnabas also sell everything and give to God. And all of them are standing in one circle going like, you are worthy of it all. And I'm like, I can't, I can't, God, I can't. Like, you are worthy of it all. And I'm not hearing you are worthy, I'm hearing of it all. And I can't worship anymore. And to you are all, no, I, I can't do this, God. But then the pressure mounts and if you are not walking right with God and if you are prone to spiritual vanity and if you are prone to flexing your godliness and if you have a weakness for posturing strength then you're going to buckle your knees are going to buckle and you're going to say okay lah give lah and then over your dining table late at night you're going to say how much can we afford how much do we want actually I don't want to give we should give lah give lah really ah how much can we afford? Actually, we can't afford. We can afford 50%. But all these people give everything. Oh. Never mind. Let's give 50%. Okay? But we just... But they give everything. And you heard them singing, you are worthy of it all. Right? They pay same, Can la. Scat, right? Scat, siaswe, right? Give 50%. Everybody give 100, right? Let's tell them it's 50 lah. Let's tell them 50% is what we got lah. Just tell them lah. If it's a million ringgit land, just tell them we got 500,000 for it lah. Right? At least we are still giving. Not so bad ma. We're still giving ma. Die Actually, it leads to a few questions. Uh. I showed you all these questions just now. But now I'm going to reinterpret and re-examine these questions in light of Ananias and Sapphira, their motives, their, what might be happening in them. Or even if it's not what happened in them, what's happening in us. Or as I shared, what happens in me. Is lying a sin? Oh yes. Oh yes. Is lying always wrong? We're not talking about those stories that I shared with you earlier. I'm talking to you about not just lying. Lying to the Holy Spirit is wrong. Lying to yourself is wrong. Lying to, lying to your community is wrong. Right? And what's happening here? You are lying, they are lying to their community that they are prepared to give it all. When I Honestly, if Ananias and Sapphira came up to the apostles and said, Peter, we, are, we can give this much. We have a land. It's more than what we can give lock stock. But we can sell the land and give you half. How do you feel? Peter will say, thank you so much. If, are you sure you can afford? Right? And by the way, don't get the impression that every single person sold their homes, you know, because after that, there are many stories of people who continue meeting in each other's homes. Okay? So, so which means that, they, that not every single person sold every single piece of, like, that's why it's not communism. Okay? But those who could, so, and those who could not, unfortunately, also tried to appear that they were selling and giving it all. So, lying to yourself, lying to your community, to show that you can when you can't, Shirong, you show everybody yeah, so, so much going on, but actually, not that much is actually going on. Right? That's wrong. It's wrong before the eyes of God. And I can tell you God sees. I can tell you God knows. 
And you can see right through it, right through it. Because all of us stand before God, just completely see-through. He can see through every single thing. And He knows already. And that's why God could put those words in Peter. Why have you done this? Right? Was it a harsh punishment? I think it is. It was a harsh punishment. Right? I didn't go through all, the, all these permutations earlier. It was a harsh punishment. There is a term in, in there's a legal term, so your lawyers can correct me. But exemplary punishment is when, is when the courts of law will deal to you the full, the full measure of the punishment when maybe your misdeeds are particularly egregious or whatever, it's particularly bad, there's willful kind of misconduct or whatever it is, they will give you the full range to make an example of you. So that be, Can the law do that? Yes, the law can. Right? I think this is an example of an exemplary damages, something like that. They hit you with a full limit because the law can. And after this, in the season of of the church, a new family trying to learn what it means to be honest with each other and honest before God side by side with each other. After that, the church had, was struck with a sense of fear. I don't think it's a fear of God striking you down in the literal sense. I think it's a fear of like, oh my gosh, actually I have those tendencies too. I have those, I'm prone to showing off as well. Now, it's hard huh? because there was no chance of repentance. And sometimes we look in our Bibles and we say that there are times where God seems to be so patient, so patient with people. How come in this case, He seemed to act so decisively, so suddenly, that these guys had no chance? And I don't have answers for that, except that I can just tell you this, that this is extremely rare in the Bible. There's a case of Uzzah, he just touched the ark, boom, he died. I can't explain that. We are trying to understand this. There aren't many more. So this kind of sudden, very, very heavy judgment is extremely rare. And I want you to know that the counsel of Scripture shows us that most of the time, He does give us chance to repent. But I also want to say this. If you feel it is harsh, I want you to know that that kind of posturing, that kind of fakery, that kind of vanity always leads to death. The way I was pastoring in those days, if I kept it up, it would lead to death. It would lead to a death of my ministry, a death of my sense of self, a death uh, to, 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 to my own love for God because everything, I'm just going to use everything uh, um, of God to kind of further my esteem before the other pastors. It, it will lead to a, sh a very quick decline of my own heart before God. And so maybe what happened with Ananias and Sapphira is just a speeding up of what was going to be uh, uh, an eventuality, an inevitable outcome. Now sometimes we might ask, hey, if this is to be taken seriously, huh? How come like, it only happens once or twice only? How come it doesn't happen? You know, is it just, you know, what, what, is this how God works? And, and shouldn't, if this is how God works, shouldn't it happen more frequently, you know, for us to really treat it as something God is serious about? Well, it doesn't. And maybe by God's grace, it doesn't. And maybe that's, that's how exemplary punishment works. He doesn't use it all the time. And maybe 
That's why today we have Ananias and Sapphira to remind us so we don't push the line and push the line and push the line, right? And maybe for all of us, if today you have seen a bit of yourself that was like how I described myself, we should be thankful that God does not act that way all the time. Amen? I'm thankful. I'm thankful because I did not die and fell at the feet of Pastor Chew <laughs> once upon a time. <laughs> and I think we laugh because it's funny. We laugh because it's nervous laughter as well. We laugh because we know that we too could have fallen where our honesty should have laid. Let's pray. Can I have, invite the worship team to come on stage? I just want to pray with all of us. Father, just want to turn our hearts before you and say, Lord God, help us. Help us to be authentic. Help us to be brave enough to be authentic. Help us to not feel the shame of being ordinary human beings with some strengths, with weaknesses, with some victories, or sometimes even if it's few victories. Help us to know that we can come before one another and be real. Lord, give us wisdom because you have not also called us to air all our dirty linen in front of the whole world. Teach us that errors do come in pass to hide everything always is wrong as we saw today but to show everything always is also not something we want to do and probably not something wise teach us how to hold to that line between being authentic real honest and yet wise sincere above all things Lord God may we not lie to ourselves may we not lie to the Holy Spirit and Lord I just want to pray for all our people here today. Friends, before God, you are in a safe place. Not even talking about in church you are in a safe place. You may not feel safe yet. And that's okay. But before God, you are in a safe place. And before God, you can be honest with Him. And maybe your life is not all that happening. Maybe on LinkedIn, you look really good, but in your own life, you're just not feeling so great about where you are yet. I want you to know, before God, you can be honest. And before God, you don't have to posture. Before God, you don't have to put up a brave face and show everybody that you are doing well. He sees it anyway. So right now, in your own seats, I want you to be able to give you time to just say, say to God what's happening in your life. Just take a moment.
Holy Spirit, come and fill this place. Lord Jesus, when we say you are worthy of it all, it's not about proceeds of sales. You're worthy of all my heart. You're worthy of all my heart, that there is no part of my heart held back so that I can deceive you and deceive myself and deceive the world. I give you all of my heart so that you have access to my whole heart in all my honesty, not hiding anything from you. You have it. It's like giving someone your phone so they can go through all your browser history, they can go through all your chat history, they can go through all your Instagram history. You can have it all. I have nothing to hide nothing to hide with you God I have nothing to hide Father we pray that our incense our prayer our voice our speaking our honest communicating with you our sincere open true genuine exchange with you will take place all the day all the night so Father I bless every single one of your people here today from the worship team all the way to the tech team at the back and everyone in between Lord Jesus may you be with us may you be with us working deep inside our hearts help us to confront ourselves help us to see ourselves in the mirror and not to dislike that reflection but to entrust that reflection into your hands because you are doing a work to renew. The Lord is always doing a work to renew. And Lord, I pray that this work will continue through week on week. I pray you'll bring this work to come all the way into our camp when we go really into this whole area of how we have been shaped, how we protect ourselves. Lord Jesus, you know we've tried to protect ourselves so much. But Lord, you... You are our protector. You are our defender. We can come to you defenseless so that you can stand for us. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His countenance towards you and grant you shalom. And all of God's people say, Amen. 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 Let's give God praise and let's turn to each other. Let's turn to each other and speak a blessing to one another, okay? Turn to each other, speak a blessing to one another. For those of you who are online, can't wait for you to join us physically either again or for the first time. Until then, see you guys.